We're going to be in Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 18. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask you to bless us as we look at your, your word. Help us to see what you would want us to see from this. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 18. And the disciples of John showed him all these things. And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are ye, are you he that should come, or do we look for another? When the men were coming to them, they said, John the Baptist said, sent us to you, saying, Are you the one to come, or should we look for another? And at the same hour, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and evil spirits, and went, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said to them, Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard, how the blind see, how the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor, and to the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is, blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went you out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went you out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in the king's court. But what went you out to see? A prophet? Yea, and more, and I say unto you, much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, which shall prepare you a, your way before you. And shall, for I say unto you, among those that are born, I just want to look at this. There's four points I want to bring out in this very long section. Um, first off, we want to think about who was John the Baptist. All right? And we go, okay, we remember John the Baptist. He was the one that baptized Jesus. He was out on the Jordan River baptizing, saying that the Messiah is coming. He is the one that when Jesus came to be baptized, he, he saw the angel, the Spirit descend on him, and he heard the voice of God saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. John knew, as far as for a fact as you could know, that Jesus was the Messiah. So we go here and go, well, why is John sending his, two of his disciples to ask, are you, the, are, are you the Messiah? Well, the problem with this is expectations. <laughs> The expectation for the Messiah was that the Messiah was going to come. He was going to raise up an army. He was going to throw Rome, well, whoever, in their particular time, it was going to be throw Rome off, out of them. And he was going to set up the rule of the entire world from Jerusalem. This is what the disciples believed. This is why, as we go further and further in this gospel, you're going to hear Jesus keep telling them, I'm going to die, but I'm going to be raised again. And what did they hear? Nothing. They didn't, they didn't hear a word that he said because it went against the expectations that they had. 
their expectation is we're following the Messiah. He's going to build a kingdom. So every time he heard, every time he said, I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised from the dead, everybody remembers in Charlie Brown cartoons when the, when the adults speak and you heard, womp, 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 womp. <laughs> well, what did the disciples hear? Every time Jesus started talking about death, burial, and resurrection, they heard, womp, 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 it doesn't compute, don't understand, um, no, we're, we're not listening. Oh, you're saying something I understand again. John had his same expectation. He said, this is the Messiah. But it's kind of strange because he actually identified him as the lamb who was going to be slain for the sins of the world. And yet he did not fully understand what the Messiah meant. So the biggest point I want to bring up to us is we need to be careful of expectation. Now, you, you start a new ministry and you think, okay, I'm going to have this brand new ministry and I'm going to have hundreds of people coming out and you get three. Or maybe it's going to be much smaller. We live, in, we, we live here in Chloride. I'm going to get three or four people and you get one. <laughs> you know, the scriptures tell us to despise not the day of small beginnings. We need to be very careful of expectations. Expectations can give us great pain when things don't meet our expectations. People get married and they think that their spouse is going to meet all of their needs. They're going to be happy for the rest of their life. Boy, have they set themselves up for a, for a problem. Because <laughs> you know, nobody but God is ever going to meet all of your needs. You know, and a matter of fact, you're, if you read the Bible, you're supposed to meet their needs. <laughs> now, if, they meet, if they're doing their job, then it's really a good, good deal. But if only one side's doing it, it gets hard. It gets very hard. But John the Baptist is, at the time that he's sending this, he's in prison. He's a very bold man. He told Herod the Great that he was a sinner having taken his brother's wife as his wife. Now, John, uh, Herod understood that he was true. His wife did not like that statement. <laughs> she did not like that statement, and she made arranged circumstances that got John the Baptist arrested, and then arranged circumstances that got him beheaded. All he did was do what God told him to do. And he went to prison. And he's going to end up being beheaded. And in prison, he's lifting up his eyes and he's going, okay, God, I, I was the one that told about the, the, the Messiah coming. What's going on? Why am I in prison? Why isn't he starting a kingdom? Why is Rome still here? Why isn't Jerusalem the, the center of all, all the world's governments? And he's getting to that point that he's questioning. What I want to say on this is it is not wrong necessarily to question and doubt what God's doing. The only thing to do is turn to God and ask Him for a direction. Do not let that doubt drive you away from God. Because we will all doubt because we have a big problem. We have a flesh that doesn't want to believe in God in the first place. We have a prideful attitude that says, I can be in control of everything and I don't need God. And then we have Satan whispering in our ear about how terrible we are and how awful we are. And if we were really good, good strong Christians, this, all this stuff would be happening and we wouldn't have any problems. You know, and it is kind of funny when we think about it because we know what God says. We know that he says that hard times are going to come, that things are going to be, be hard for us. You know, if you've ever bothered to read the book of Job, you see a really interesting story. 
know, Satan going before God and saying, you know, uh, Satan and God saying, Satan, what have you been doing? He goes, well, I've been wandering around the world looking for, looking for people, <laughs> looking, looking for people not obeying you. And who did, what did God do? He says, have you considered Job? God pointed Job out to Satan. <laughs> and Job's life was turned upside down. Overnight, in a period of just a very short period of time, he lost all of his wealth and lost his health. And then, as you know the story, he had, well, three main friends and one, one young man come to give him, give him comfort. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, with that kind of comfort you don't need. You know, they, they were telling him all about how bad he had to have been for all, this sin to, all these bad things to happen to him and that he needed to repent. God's witness was that he was a perfect and upright man that hated evil. And his friends are telling him how bad he must be. And you know the story that he finally gets everything back. He gets twice as much stuff as he had when he started but because he was faithful. When we are in the middle of a trial, it is easy to want to doubt. This is when we go to the word of God and say, God, I want to know what you say. John's problem was that he didn't understand the word of God. He did not understand that the Messiah was coming to die on a cross and then 2,000 years or so later come back as, and rule the world. His expectation was that he was coming then to throw Rome off. You know, he had a hard time. He lived in, under the Roman Empire. Rome told him what to do, where to go, how to, how to behave. Gave him some freedom in religion but didn't like the idea that they didn't make sacrifices to the emperors. They didn't, they didn't bow down before the, the Roman leaders because they only bowed down before God. There was a lot of problems that they had. And John the Baptist is going, all right, I've spent my life preaching about this uh, Messiah coming and God showed him to me and now I'm in prison. Where's the Messiah? <laughs> How many times have you felt that way in your life when you're dealing with God? God, I thought you told me to do this, whatever this, whatever the this is. Why are things seeming to go so bad? Why does nothing seem to be going right? Isn't that my favorite verse is Romans 8, 28. For all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Because I know that God is sovereign and he will work things out in the long run. Now, his long run may be longer than my, my thought process <laughs> because God does not look at our little insignificant period of time. He sees the beginning from the end. When something bad happens to us, he knows what it's going to, be good, what it's going to do for us two decades from now, three decades from now. He knows how it's going to impact your family who's watching you stay faithful to God in the middle of all of that. And they, stay, and they get stronger because they go, if you can do it, I can do it, because they get to follow God. We need to be able to understand God's grace in our life. He is sovereign. One of the messages we heard this week was about sovereignty. And it's amazing to me is, in America, we have problems with sovereignty. Why? We're self-made people. We don't like our government. We get rid of them. We don't like our, our business, we get a new job. You know, we are self-made individuals, rugged individualism is America's, America's title. 
only problem is it doesn't match God's decisions. God says, I am king. I am creator. I say you do. And we in America go, uh, God, I don't really like that. Explain yourself to us. Tell us what you're doing, why you're doing it. Now, how many of you as parents or even as kids ever talked to your parents and, you said, and your parents told you you're going to do it because I said so? Or you've said it to your own kid, you're going to do it because I or your boss has said, you're going to do this because I said so. That's a part of sovereignty. You have rule over something. And there are times when you just say, you're going to do it because this is the way we're going to do it. There are a lot of times that God says, this is what I'm telling you to do. And our answer is to be, yes. Yes, God, I will do it. We oftentimes have a problem with that. And the only problem is, when we have a problem with saying yes to God, God gets his way anyway. He's going to make things miserable. We thought it would be miserable obeying God. So we decide not to obey God. And then he really makes things miserable for us. Because we're not being obedient. And sometimes it's not even him. It's just the consequences for our actions that we did not know. The good news when we obey God is he knows the beginning from the end. He knows the pit that's 50 feet down the road that you don't know that's there. As you're trying to drive full speed, full. God is a straight road. I can make it. God says, yeah, but just over that little crest that you don't see is a great big pit that's going to wipe you out. And we're going up. Oh, I can do this. Look at this. And we end up where we're not supposed to be. And, you know, I am so glad that God does not usually say, I told you so. He just lovingly picks us up, takes us back to where we're supposed to be, and allows us to go forward. This leads into what I'm looking at on the second point. Jesus' answer to disciples. John could have sent, uh, Jesus could have sent back a message. All right, Paul, uh, John, what's wrong with you? You saw the angel. You know, you know better. You, you know all this stuff. You know, and it could have been, I told you so. You know better. That wasn't his answer. Matter of fact, if you look at it, he really didn't even directly answer the question. He took and lived his day out in front of John's disciples, healing the sick, giving blind, raising the dead, all the things that the Messiah was to do. And then he gently told them, go back and tell John what you've seen. When you know the truth, God usually doesn't come back and say, I told you so, but he does gently remind you of what you know. He wants us to be able to know and understand. Because if he had said, you know, really harsh words, just tell John he knows better. How would John have felt? <laughs> He might have even repented, but you know, he would have felt so bad for being a doubter. Now, uh, you know, poor Thomas, he doubts one time for a legitimate thing. He saw Jesus dying, they're telling him he's alive, and he gets the, the title Doubting Thomas. We're not calling John, John Doubting John, uh, John. He was just as much a doubter in this case. He had already pro prophesied the Messiah's coming, and this is him. And now he's doubting. His circumstances, he's stuck in a dungeon. 
Now, I don't know if you all understand what a dungeon was back in those days, but a dungeon was not a jail cell. Our modern jail cells are nothing like a dungeon. They've got lights, they've got beds. They may not very be luxurious, but they are dry. They have sheets, they have blankets. In America, you get food. Dungeons were dark, dank. You had some hay that other people had been sleeping on before. You usually got to share it with the rats and the roaches and the lice and the fleas. And if you had somebody on the outside that would bring you food, you could eat. This is a condition that John the Baptist is in. He's in a dungeon going, what is wrong? Where is the Messiah? When you are in a dark place and you are not trusting God anymore, or you're having trouble trusting God, come back to the book. Come back to the promises of God. Bring light into your situation and know what's going on. This is one of the very important things that we memorize scripture. And the, my process of memorizing the scriptures is not just so you know lots of scriptures, but that you know things that will help you in life. This month's yay, we are more than conquerors through him that loves us. We are more than conquerors. John the Baptist had forgotten he's more than a conqueror. He was very bold when he was out there at the uh, river telling the publicans that they're whitewashed sepulchers. They, they are vipers. You know, telling Herod, you know, you're a sinner you know, with your brother's wife that is not right for you to have. He was very bold, very strong. Now he's in prison. It's dark. Everything's depressed. He's, he's expecting to die at any point. At this time, he's, the death sentence hasn't been put on him. And he's expecting to die, and he's going, okay, did I, did I misunderstand God? Did I misunderstand everything that I had learned? When you're in that place, draw closer to God. Do not pull away. I've been walking with God for 50 years, and one of the things I have seen, when people go through this trial, there are two ways that they will go. They will either draw closer to God and the church, or they will pull further and further away from the church. And you go, what happened to so-and-so? I haven't seen them for months. Well, we don't know, but they're not living for God anymore. Our choice at that point is, do I come? John sends his disciples to Jesus and says, hey, are you the one? Are you the one? I need that encouragement. I need to be reminded of what I, what I saw. And they come back and get to share with John. People are being healed all over. Demons are being cast out. The dead are being raised up. Uh, and you know what? Jesus never said, I'm the Messiah. But you know what John hears? I'm the Messiah. Because he knows what the Messiah was to do. The Messiah was to be victory, victorious over death and disease and all of that. And he's going to hear, yes, I'm the Messiah. The next part of this uh, section that, that talks about Jesus praising John. After the disciples leave, Jesus says good things about John to the people. And this is very important for us. He goes, first time he goes, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken? We don't really know what that means. There's two schools of thought. 
reeds sit on the on the side of the of most bodies of water and get you know bounce back and forth and they don't get moved with the tides and everything. But when you take it in context, I don't think that's what it means. I'm I'm more and more agreeing with the other side of this. They there is one ancient writer that said John used real large gestures and waved and jumped up and down. He was an excited man. And he's going, what did you go see? Did you go see the entertainment? Were you going out there just to see the entertainment? Because the next one says, did you go out to see somebody with good clothes? <laughs> really well dressed. Well, if you don't remember the description of John, John wore camel skin clothes, <laughs> tunic. He was not a well-dressed man. He had a really wonderful diet, locusts and honey. Now, so he wasn't well-dressed. So Jesus is going, why did you go out to see him? Why did you go out to see him? And that question goes for Christians, especially in America. Why do you go to the church that you go to? Are you going to be entertained? More and more churches are gearing toward entertainment. Where we went to for this event, I hate to say this, but the worship was terrible. They turned the lights off and turned on smoke machines and lasers and lights and everything. And I'm going, did I accidentally go to the wrong meeting? Did I go to the wrong meeting? You know, did I walk into a rock star concert? Music so loud you can't hear any the words being sung. Why do we go to church? Are we going there to be entertained? And there are pastors out there that do everything they can to entertain their people. Or are we going there to hear a message? A message from God. When we sing our songs, if we're paying attention to our songs, I try hard to make sure that all of our songs have a good message, whether they're new, modern, fast-paced songs that we sing or the old hymns. There are hymns that I won't sing because I don't like that there's no real message in them. So just because it's a hymn does not mean it's a good song. Just because it's a, a modern-day song does not mean it's a bad song. We need to listen to the words. What are the words saying to us? And then Jesus goes at the very end, he goes, but what went you out to see? A prophet? This is what they should have gone out to see. A prophet. A prophet? When we hear the word prophet, most of us think about somebody who tells the future. The definition in the Bible of a prophet is one that speaks with the authority of God. So anybody giving God's message is in the operation of a prophet. Most pastors, if they're a good pastor, should be also a prophet because they're speaking with the authority of God in their teaching. Good Sunday school teachers will be able to operate as prophets teaching under authority. He goes, you went to see a prophet? He goes, I tell you, he was much more. John was by Jesus for his position. One of the greatest things that I'm looking forward to in Revelation, it says that the shepherd will say, enter into heaven, you good and faithful servant. Well done. I want to hear, well done, when I get to heaven. I don't want to hear just, you're here just by my grace, come on in. 
And that's better than, better than the alternative. The alternative is to not be there, but I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And I hope that's the goal for each person that's listening. Are you serving God with the desire of being able to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Able to step out and do what he has asked you to do. Now, I don't know what each person in this room has been asked or even listening on the Internet, but you know what? God has asked everyone to do something. What that something is, only you and God know. If you don't know, start asking him what it is because you need to get into fellowship with him enough to know what it is. But it is important. Maybe what you are is a prayer warrior, and don't ever bear that down because prayer warriors are needed. And I've heard many people tell me that they're a prayer warrior, and I ask, well, what prayers are being answered? Uh, well, none that I know of. You're not a prayer warrior. If you're a prayer warrior, you know that God listens. That is your calling. When you pray, things get answered. Are you an encourager? Some people are wonderful to be around. They are encouragers. That is what they're called to do. They encourage you, leave them, and you feel good. Now, there is no gift of criticism. Don't try to say your gift is criticism. When you leave somebody with God's gift, you're going to feel good <laughs> when you've been around them. Now, there are times when criticism is needed, correction, but it needs to be the correct activity. Maybe you have the gift of helping other people. Now, I like it when there's people around that know how to fix things because I'm not that person. Now, I can get the YouTube out and I can figure out how to do some things. <laughs> And it takes me about four times longer to finally maybe get it done. If you want to have a building framed, I am not the person to do it. I'll pick up all the, all, the, all the cut pieces of wood and the nails that you drop, but you don't want me nailing the two pieces of wood together. Uh, it won't look like it's supposed to, and it probably won't stand up uh, when it's done. But you know there are people that that's their gift. They get things done. Maybe you're an administrator. Maybe you are a teacher. Maybe you're a singer. You know, there's all kinds of places that God says, I want you to serve. Never belittle what God has asked you to do. Now, a lot of people go, well, I'm not the pastor or the Sunday school teacher. Nobody knows who I am. Well, probably that's a good, good thing that nobody knows who you are uh, because nobody knows if you fail or don't fail. When you're the pastor or the teacher and you're, you're up front in front of everybody and you fail, everybody knows. <laughs> it's really not a bad thing to be the insignificant person in the middle that, that is just the prayer warrior or just the, the one who cleans the church or whatever, or clean, or takes care of the, the property. Don't belittle your position that God's asked you to do. Don't wish that you were somebody else. For one thing, you probably don't want to be them. You know, one thing I have learned over the years is you look at somebody's life and you go, I'm really glad I'm not that person. Look at what God has done in their life to get them there. You want to be the person who's up front? A lot goes into being that person. A lot of trials, a lot of tribulation, a lot of hardships go put into that. And Jesus is saying, you went out to see a more. He is so much more. I sent my the way he had John the Baptist had a specific job to announce that the Messiah was coming 
But the most interesting statement that Jesus put after that, he goes, in verse 28, he says, For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than the Baptist. He's the greatest prophet. Now, there's been a lot of good prophets. You've got Isaiah, Moses, uh, Ezekiel, Daniel. You've got a lot of great prophets. And Jesus says he is greater than all of them. And you go, okay, God, that's wonderful. But he says, my, one of my favorite words in the scriptures, but. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. I want you to think about this for a moment. If you've ever wanted to be somebody else in the church because they seem to have a greater position, greater responsibility. If you are doing what God has told you to do, God says you're greater than they are, possibly greater than they are. One of the great things about God is only going to require from us what we are called and equipped to do. So if your equipping is to simply clean the church and understand, I, I like it when people are called to clean the church. Because it means I don't have to do it. And you know what? Very few people ever know who it is that cleans the church. But you know if they don't do their job. Might, might get away with it one week, but they're definitely not getting away with it two weeks in a row. You know, who takes care of the landscape of the church? You get to know it after a while if it's not being done. Especially out here on our property with all the weeds that grow up with, you know, around us. But those jobs are very important for the appeal of what people see. Don't think of anything that you have as thing. If God has given you one gift, use it well. If he's given you more, use them well. If you use your one gift 100%, you may, you may be doing a whole lot better than the person who has five or six gifts and is only using them at 10 or 20%. Even though it looks like they're getting a lot more done, God says, I required a lot more from you. I gave you a lot of gifts. I expected much more from you. Use your gifts that God has asked you to use and don't look and say, well, God, I don't have this gift. Because God's going to say, well, I didn't give it to you anyway. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It wasn't yours, so don't worry about it. The reaction of the people is the last thing I'm going to look at. It says the publicans justified God. Justified God. Publicans, sinners. Those who knew they were sinners, when Jesus said that, praised God. The last part of that, the last verse says, the, scribe, the Pharisees, they didn't, have, they didn't like what they heard. The, the, the publicans are looking, all right, the least of us? <laughs> hey, that, that's me. <laughs> I'm a sinner. I'm much, I'm much less than all these other guys. The least of us are going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Anytime you think that you're something special in God's kingdom, whether it's true or not is irrelevant. That means that you're not looking at yourself as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You're going to find yourself in a different position in heaven than you think. The scribes and Pharisees looking, uh, hold it, we're the good guys. Uh, we're, when we get to heaven, we're going to, God's going to say, well, you are so wonderful. I'm so glad to have you here. He's going to promote it. But they understood that he was saying, uh, 
all these sinners are going to be placed above you. The good news for us is how do we get to heaven? The blood of Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. We're there by the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary for us. Not our works of righteousness, but his blood. And when we come before him, we're being clothed in Christ. We will be made perfect. And God will say, here's all my children. Here's, here's the bride of Christ. And it's going to be a wonderful thing that those who think that there's something are going to be put in their place. Don't ever think that you're doing something great for God. You know, pride is something that Satan uses on us. It was his original sin. He said, I will be like the Most High. I will sit on the throne of heaven with him. You know, if you remember the, the seven I wills, you know, all of them is going to be, I'm going to be like God. I'm pride. I don't like being where I'm at. And God cast him from heaven. He was the number one angelic being and wasn't happy with his position and was cast out. We need to remember that we can't do anything without Christ and it's all Christ that does the work in us. And if we think we're something, we're deceiving ourselves. Now that doesn't mean you think to yourself, well, I'm totally worthless, I don't do anything. If you can sing, sing. Sing with all your heart, but give God the glory. If you're a teacher, teach with all your heart, but give God the glory. If you're the, the greatest mechanic and you're keeping the church running, working mechanically, be, then great. You're the best groundskeeper and everything you grow grows. <laughs> you know, great. But remember that it's all God that's doing it. And, you know, just thing on this is, is when you're in a position, it's going to happen. Turn to God his word. Turn to God's people. Be built up. Be edified. Satan likes to separate people. He will get us thinking that we're bad, awful, terrible. Nobody in the church wants anything to do with us. And then when he gets us separated, then he'll accuse us of being terrible Christians. Now, now it's a pretty amazing thing. He, he gets us to sin, and then he tells us how bad we are and that nobody's going to want to be around us anymore. He starts with, well, you know you're going to be forgiven. They'll love you. They'll, they'll, they'll accept you. And then as soon as you sin, uh, you're terrible. How could you call yourself a Christian and do that kind of a thing? Nobody in that church wants to have anything to do with you. You need to not go back anymore. Don't listen to the enemy. Now, are you going to find some people in the church to be critical? Yes, we're, we're, we're a body of imperfect people. Don't listen to them either. Find the people that are going to give you God's word and his encouragement. Talk with them. Spend time with them. Get to know them. God loves you. He loves me. Loves us so much that he died for our sins so that we could spend eternity with him in heaven. I don't know if you really understand that, but that just is mind-blowing that God loves us so much that he died for us. While we were still enemies for him, of him, he died for us. I am just amazed when I think about how much God loves us. And then we love him because he first loved us, we're told in 1 John. And that is also the reason we can love others is because he has shown us what love looks like. So we're going to encourage you when, you, when you have times of doubt, 
when you have times of hardship, turn to God. Turn to the people. Don't turn away from him. It's easy to turn away from him. People are going to tell you you should turn away. You're going to have some of Job's friends around you that are going to tell you about how bad you are and how awful everything is and God's, God's the problem. Don't listen to any of that. Turn to God. Repent. Come back to God. Draw closer to him than ever before because that is where life comes. When I turn to God, he will give me life that is just unbelievable. He'll give me peace that passes understanding in the middle of a trial. And people will look at you and go, you're crazy, you're a nut. How can you be happy with all this stuff going around you? Because God is still in charge. I may not understand what he's doing, but he is still in charge and he has a plan. We're going to close here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, if there's anybody here or listening that doesn't know you, we ask that today they will turn their life over to you. They will admit, Lord, I am a savior. I believe that you died for my sins. Come in and Lord, for all the rest of us, that you will help us to understand no matter what we go through, you are in charge and you have a plan. And we thank you. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.